Chapter Nine of The Girl from Montana by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine In a Trap. Elizabeth rode straight out to the east, crossing the town as rapidly as possible, going full gallop where the streets were empty. On the edge of the town, she crossed another trail running back the way that they had come, but without swerving, she turned out toward the world and soon passed into a thick growth of trees around a hill. Not three minutes elapsed after she had passed the crossing of the trails before the four men rode across from the other direction and, pausing, called to one another, looking this way and that. What do you think, Bill? Shall we risk the right hand or the left? Take the left for luck, answered Bill. Let's go over to the ranch and ask. If she's been hereabouts, she's likely there. The old woman'll know. Come on, boys. And who shall say that the angel of the Lord did not stand within the crossing of the ways and turn aside the evil men? Elizabeth did not stop her fierce ride until about noon. The frenzy of her fear of pursuit had come upon her with renewed force. Now that she was alone and desolate, she did not look behind her. She had been strong enough as she smiled her farewell. But when the train had dwindled into a mere speck in the distance, her eyes were dropping tears thick and fast upon the horse's mane. So, in the first heaviness of her loneliness, she rode as if pursued by enemies close at hand. But the horse must rest if she did not, for he was her only dependence now. So she sat her down in the shade of a tree and tried to eat some dinner. The tears came again as she opened the pack which the man's strong hands had bound together for her. How little she had thought at breakfast time that she would eat the next meal alone. It was all well enough to tell him he must go and say she was nothing to him, but it was different now to face the world without a single friend when one had learned to know how good a friend could be. Almost it would have been better if he had never found her, never saved her from the serpent, never ridden beside her and talked of wonderful new things to her, for now that he was gone, the emptiness and loneliness were so much harder to bear, and now she was filled with a longing for things that could not be hers. It was well he had gone so soon, well she had no longer to grow into the charm of his society, for he belonged to the lady and was not hers. Thus she ate her dinner with the indifference of sorrow. Then she took out the envelope and counted over the money. Forty dollars he had given her. She knew he had kept but five for himself. How wonderful that he should have done all that for her. It seemed a very great wealth in her possession. Well, she would use it as sparingly as possible, and thus be able the sooner to return it all to him. Some she must use, she supposed, to buy food, but she would do with as little as she could. She might sometimes shoot a bird or catch a fish, or there might be berries fit for food by the way. Nights she must stop by the way at a respectable house. That she had promised. He had told her of awful things that might happen to her if she lay down in the wilderness alone. Her lodging would sometimes cost her something, yet often they would take her in for nothing. She would be careful of the money. She studied the name on the envelope, George Trescott Benedict, 2 Walnut Street, Philadelphia, Penn. The letters were large and angular, not easy to read, but she puzzled them out. 
It did not look like his writing. She had watched him as he wrote the old woman's address in his little red book. He wrote small, round letters, slanting backwards, plain as print, pleasant writing to read. Now the old woman's address would never be of any use, and her wish that Elizabeth should travel alone was fulfilled. There was a faint perfume from the envelope, like weldwood flowers. She breathed it in and wondered at it. Was it perfume from something he carried in his pocket? Some flower his lady had once given him. But this was not a pleasant thought. She put the envelope into her bosom after studying it again carefully until she knew the words by heart. Then she drew forth the papers of her mother's that she had brought from home and for the first time read them over. The first was the marriage certificate. That she had seen before and had studied with awe but the others had been kept in a box that was never opened by the children. The mother kept them sacredly, always with the certificate on the top. The largest paper she could not understand. It was something about a mine. There were a great many herebys and whereases and agreements in it. She put it back into the wrapper as of little account, probably something belonging to her father, which her mother had treasured for old time's sake. Then came a paper which related to the claim where their little log home had stood, and upon the extreme edge of which the graves were. That, too, she laid reverently within its wrapper. Next came a bit of pasteboard, whereon was inscribed, Mrs. Merrill Wilton Bailey, Rittenhouse Square, Tuesdays. That, she knew, was her grandmother's name, though she had never seen the card before. Her father's mother. She looked at the card in wonder. It was almost like a distant view of the lady in question. What kind of a place might Rittenhouse Square be? And where was it? There was no telling. It might be near that wonderful desert of Sahara that the man had talked about. She laid it down with a sigh. There was only one paper left, and that was a letter written in pale pencil lines. It said, My dear Bessie, your pa died last week. He was killed falling from a scaffold. He was buried on Monday with five carriages and everything nice. We all got new black dresses and have enough for a stone. If it don't cost too much, we'll have an angel on the top. I always thought an angel pointing to heaven was nice. We wish you was here. We miss you very much. I hope your husband is good to you. Why don't you write to us? You haven't wrote since your little girl was born. I suppose you call her Bessie like you. If anything ever happens to you, you can send her to me. I'd kind of like her to fill your place. Your sister has got a baby girl, too. She calls her Lizzie. We couldn't somehow have it natural to call her Lisbeth. And Nan wanted her called for me. I was always Lizzie, you know. Now you must write soon. Your loving mother, Elizabeth Brady. There was no date nor address to the letter but an address had been penciled on the outside in her mother's cramped schoolgirl hand. It was dim but still readable. Mrs. Elizabeth Brady, 18 Flora Street, Philadelphia. Elizabeth studied the last word, then drew out the envelope again and looked at that. Yes, the two names were the same. How wonderful! Perhaps she would sometime, sometime, see him again, though of course he belonged to the lady. But, perhaps, if she went to school and learned very fast, she might sometime meet him at church. 
He went to church, she was sure, and then he might smile and not be ashamed of his friend who had saved his life. Saved his life? Nonsense! She had not done much. He would not feel any such ridiculous indebtedness to her when he got back to home and friends and safety. He had saved her much more than she had saved him. She put the papers all back in safety, and after having prepared her few belongings for taking up the journey, she knelt down. She would say the prayer before she went on. It might be that would keep the terrible pursuers away. She said it once, and then, with eyes still closed, she waited a moment. Might she say it for him, who was gone away from her? Perhaps it would help him, and keep him from falling from that terrible machine he was riding on. Hitherto, in her mind, prayers had been only for the dead, but now they seemed also to belong to all who were in danger or trouble. She said the prayer over once more, slowly, then paused a moment and added, Our Father, hide him from trouble. Hide George Trescott Benedict, and hide me, please, too. Then she mounted her horse and went on her way. It was a long and weary way. It reached over mountains and through valleys, across winding, turbulent streams, and broad rivers that had few bridges. The rivers twice led her further south than she meant to go in her ignorance. She had always felt that Philadelphia was straight ahead east, as straight as one could go to the heart of the sun. Night after night she lay down in strange homes, some poorer and more forlorn than others, and day after day she took up her lonely travel again. Gradually, as the days lengthened, and mountains piled themselves behind her, and rivers stretched like barriers between, she grew less and less to dread her pursuers, and more and more to look forward to the future. It seemed so long away. Would it never end? Once she asked a man whether he knew where Philadelphia was. She had been traveling then for weeks, and thought she must be almost there. But he said, Philadelphia? Oh, Philadelphia is in the east. That's a long way off. I saw a man once who came from there. She set her firm little chin then and traveled on. Her clothes were much worn, and her skin was brown as a berry. The horse plodded on with a dejected air. He would have liked to stop at a number of places they passed and remain for life, what there was left of it, but he obediently walked on over any kind of an old road that came in his way, and solaced himself with whatever kind of a bite the roadside afforded. He was becoming a much-traveled horse. He knew a threshing machine by sight now, and considered it no more than a prairie bobcat. At one stopping place a good woman advised Elizabeth to rest on Sundays. She told her God didn't like people to do the same on his day as on other days, and it would bring her bad luck if she kept up her incessant riding. It was bad for the horse, too. So, the night being Saturday, Elizabeth remained with the woman over the Sabbath and heard read aloud the fourteenth chapter of John. It was a wonderful revelation to her. She did not altogether understand it. In fact, the Bible was an unknown book. She had never known that it was different from other books. She had heard it spoken of by her mother, but only as a book. She did not know it was a book of books. 
she carried the beautiful thoughts with her on the way and pondered them she wished she might have the book she remembered the name of it bible the book of god then god had written a book some day she would try to find it and read it let not your heart be troubled so much of the message drifted into her lonesome ignorant soul and settled down to stay she said it over nights when she found a shelter in some unpleasant place or days when the road was rough or a storm came up and she was compelled to seek shelter by the roadside under a haystack or in a friendly but deserted shack she thought of it the day there was no shelter and she was drenched to the skin she wondered afterward when the sun came out and dried her nicely whether god had really been speaking the words to her troubled heart let not your heart be troubled every night and every morning she said our father twice once for herself and once for the friend who had gone out into the world it seemed about a hundred years ago but one day she came across a railroad track it made her heart beat wildly it seemed now that she must be almost there railroads were things belonging to the east and civilization but the way was lonely still for days and then she crossed more railroads becoming more and more frequent and came into the line of towns that stretched along beside the snake-like tracks she fell into the habit of staying overnight in a town and then riding on to the next in the morning but now her clothes were becoming so dirty and ragged that she felt ashamed to go to nice-looking places lest they should turn her out so she sought shelter in barns and small mean houses but the people in these houses were distressingly dirty and she found no place to wash she had lost track of the weeks or the months when she reached her first great city the only one she had come near in her uncharted wanderings into the outskirts of chicago she rode undaunted her head erect with the carriage of a queen she had passed indians and cowboys in her journeying why should she mind chicago miles and miles of houses and people there seemed to be no end to it nothing but houses everywhere and hurried-looking people many of them working hard surely this must be philadelphia a large beautiful building attracted her attention there were handsome grounds about it and girls playing some game with a ball and curious webbed implements across a net of cords elizabeth drew her horse to the side of the road and watched a few minutes one girl was skillful and hit the ball back every time elizabeth almost exclaimed out loud once when a particularly fine ball was played she rode reluctantly on when the game was finished and saw over the arched gateway the words janeway school for girls ah this was philadelphia at last and here was her school she would go in at once before she went to her grandmother's it might be better she dismounted and tied the horse to an iron ring in a post by the sidewalk then she went slowly shyly up the steps into the charmed circles of learning she knew she was shabby but her long journey would explain that would they be kind to her and let her study she stood some time before the door with a group of laughing girls not far away whispering about her she smiled at them but they did not return the salutation and their actions made her more shy 
At last she stepped into the open door, and a maid in cap and apron came forward. "'You must not come in here, miss,' she said imperiously. "'This is a school.' "'Yes,' said Elizabeth gravely, smiling. "'I want to see the teacher.' "'She's busy. You can't see her,' snapped the maid. "'Then I will wait till she is ready. I've come a great many miles, and I must see her.' The maid retreated at this, and an elegant woman in trailing black silk and gold-rimmed glasses approached threateningly. This was a new kind of beggar, of course, and must be dealt with at once. "'What do you want?' she asked frigidly. "'I've come to school,' said Elizabeth confidingly. "'I know I don't look very nice, but I've had to come all the way from Montana on horseback. If you could let me go where I can have some water and a thread and needle, I can make myself look better.' The woman eyed the girl incredulously. "'You have come to school?' she said, and her voice was large and frightened Elizabeth. "'You have come all the way from Montana? Impossible. You must be crazy.' "'No, ma'am, I'm not crazy,' said Elizabeth. "'I just want to go to school.' The woman perceived that this might be an interesting case for benevolently inclined people. It was nothing but an annoyance to herself. "'My dear girl,' her tone was bland and disagreeable now, "'Are you aware that it takes money to come to school?' "'Does it?' said Elizabeth. "'No, I didn't know it, but I have some money. "'I could give you ten dollars right now, "'and if that is not enough, I might work some way and earn more.' "'The woman laughed disagreeably. "'It is impossible,' she said. "'The yearly tuition here is five hundred dollars. "'Besides, we do not take girls of your class.' This is a finishing school for young ladies. You will have to inquire further. And the woman swept away to laugh with her colleagues over the queer character, the new kind of tramp she had just been called to interview. The maid came pertly forward and said that Elizabeth could not longer stand where she was. Bewilderment and bitter disappointment in her face, Elizabeth went slowly down to her horse the great tears welling up into her eyes. As she rode away, she kept turning back to the school grounds wistfully. She did not notice the passers-by, nor know that they were commenting upon her appearance. She made a striking picture in her rough garments, with her wealth of hair, her tanned skin, and tear-filled eyes. An artist noticed it, and watched her down the street, half thinking he would follow, and secure her as a model for his next picture. A woman, gaudily bedecked in soiled finery, her face giving evidence of the frequent use of rouge and powder, watched her and followed, pondering. At last she called, My dear, my dear, wait a minute. She had to speak several times before Elizabeth saw that she was talking to her. Then the horse was halted by the sidewalk. My dear, said the woman, you look tired and disappointed. Don't you want to come home with me for a little while and rest? Thank you, said Elizabeth, but I am afraid I must go on. I only stop on Sundays. But just come home with me for a little while, coaxed the wheedling tones. You look so tired, and I've some girls of my own. I know you would enjoy resting and talking with them. The kindness in her tones touched the weary girl. Her pride had been stung to the quick 
by the haughty woman in the school. This woman would soothe her with kindness. "'Do you live far from here?' asked Elizabeth. "'Only two or three blocks,' said the woman. "'You ride along by the sidewalk, and we can talk. "'Where are you going? "'You look as if you had come a long distance.' "'Yes,' said the girl wearily. "'From Montana. "'I am going to school. "'Is this Philadelphia?' "'This is Chicago,' said the woman. "'There are finer schools here than in Philadelphia. "'If you like to come and stay at my house a while, "'I will see about getting you into a school.' "'Is it hard work to get people into schools?' "'asked the girl wonderingly. "'I thought they would want people to teach.' "'No, it's very hard,' said the lying woman. "'But I think I know a school where I can get you in. "'Where are your folks? "'Are they in Montana?' "'They are all dead,' said Elizabeth, "'and I have come away to school.' "'Poor child,' said the woman glibly. "'Come right home with me, and I'll take care of you. "'I know a nice way you can earn your living, "'and then you can study if you like. "'But you're quite big to go to school. "'It seems to me you could have a good time without that. "'You are a very pretty girl, do you know it? "'You only need pretty clothes to make you a beauty. "'If you come with me,' I will let you earn some beautiful new clothes. You are very kind, said the girl gravely. I do need new clothes, and, if I could earn them, that would be all the better. She did not quite like the woman, yet of course that was foolish. After a few more turns, they stopped in front of a tall brick building with a number of windows. It seemed to be a good deal like other buildings. In fact, as she looked up the street, Elizabeth thought there were miles of them, just alike. She tied her horse in front of the door and went in with the woman. The woman told her to sit down a minute until she called the lady of the house, who would tell her more about the school. There were a number of pretty girls in the room, and they made very free to speak to her. They twitted her about her clothes, and in a way reminded Elizabeth of the girls in the school she had just interviewed. Suddenly she spoke up to the group. An idea had occurred to her. This was the school and the woman had not liked to say so until she spoke to the teacher about her. "'Is this a school?' she asked shyly. Her question was met with a shout of derisive laughter. "'School!' cried the boldest, prettiest one. "'School for scandal! School for morals!' There was one, a thin, pale girl, with dark circles under her eyes, a sad droop to her mouth, and bright scarlet spots in her cheeks, she came over to Elizabeth and whispered something to her. Elizabeth started forward, unspeakable horror in her face. She fled to the door where she had come in, but found it fastened. Then she turned as if she had been brought to bay by a pack of lions. End of chapter 9